Let's hit it. Give me a vacation. Vacation. Give me a wave. Surfing. Give me a city tour. The trolley. Give me animals. The zoo. Give me some sea life. <laughs> Give me museums. Park. Give me a woo. What's that spell? San Diego. If you're happy and you know it, San Diego is the place to show it. Book your family vacation at San Diego.org. Funded in part with the City of San Diego Tourism Marketing District Assessment Funds. Looking to step up your Mother's Day flowers? The Home Depot has an idea. Let mom's green thumb do some digging with colorful flowers, pots, and premium soils to bring out the most in her patios, walkways, and gardens. Right now, get Vigoro Potting Soil, just $8.97 for strong, healthy, vibrant plants indoors and outside. Shop our wide selection online and pick up your order in-store and give mom the gift of a beautiful garden. Get Vigoro Potting Soil, just $8.97 at The Home Depot. How doers get more done. Trinity School of Natural Health can help you be part of the fast-growing health and wellness industry. With an education that empowers communities, Trinity grads can change lives by applying natural health principles and techniques in holistic practices or stores selling nourishing health products. Offering 19 online programs that fit your busy schedule, you'll get training to help turn your passion into a career. Enroll today at trinityschool.org. That's trinityschool.org. It's Two Dudes in a Kitchen with Tyler Florence and Wells Adams, an iHeartRadio podcast. All right, hope you came hungry. It's time for our episode of Two Dudes in a Kitchen. Wells Adams hanging out with my boy, Tyler Florence. So I feel like you've been in the news a bunch. Your social media has been popping. A lot of things are happening for you. We've had a crazy week, man. So we just got back from Hawaii, uh, which is really exciting. So we're opening up uh, Miller and Lux Hualalai at the Four Seasons. Beautiful property, Four Seasons Hualalai on the Big Island, just north of Kona. And uh, so that's going to happen in December. That hasn't officially dropped. So if you're listening to this, uh, you, you know, all of our folks on Two Dudes in a Kitchen are always going to hear it first. So you're hearing it first, which is kind of exciting. And then uh, the big news that just dropped yesterday is that we're taking over two spaces, two cafe spaces um, in Union Square. So downtown San Francisco, which is the Rodeo Drive of San Francisco. We're taking over two major cafe spaces on the deck top in the park of Union Square. So it's like literally the heartbeat of the city of San Francisco. Uh, as a matter of fact, I'm heading there in about two hours to go do yet another interview. Uh, we've been uh, doing a bunch lately and it's, it's super exciting, you know, really kind of leaning into the city of San Francisco because San Francisco, she's had it kind of hard in the last like couple, last two, three years. You know, and all the bad PR, all the all the bad press we've had recently, we own it and we deserve it 100%. But now it's time to do something about it. So it's going to be this like public, public private partnership with the city of San Francisco. And we're going to take both those spaces over. It's going to be called Miller and Lux Provisions. One side is going to be like this picnic cafe with rotisserie chicken and farmer's market fresh side dishes and charcuterie and cheeses and, you know, uh, uh, rosé on tap and all kinds of fun stuff. And the other side is going to be this uh, uh, pastry emporium uh, uh, featuring Carla Morrow, who's our pastry chef at Miller & Lux. Her, her unbelievable just wizardry of pastry. Like, so she's going to be taking that whole space over. So it's going to be a lot of fun. We're going to be open by November. Um, it's going to be a blitz scale project to kind of get that up and running. But yeah, man. And that's, that's just two big press pieces that are coming out. And there's two more in the pipeline. Wow. Busy boy. Well, well, congratulations. That's awesome, man. Thank you, brother. Proud to know you. Excited for all the things coming up. I got to tell you, I had quite 
a culinary experience. Yes. And also tell me about, and, and you married I did. two of your best friends. So I, I, I went that. to yeah. like over into your neck of the woods, um, my new favorite place in the world, Charleston, South Carolina. That's so Beautiful, my right? buddy Joe and Serena who met on uh, Bachelor in Paradise, my, the TV show that I'm on, they got married and they asked me to marry them, which was the honor of a lifetime. <laughs> Um, and mm -hmm. they decided to have a destination wedding that was kind of like equidistant to, to both of where their families are from. So she's from Toronto, he's from Chicago. So we went down to Charleston and let me just tell you, if you've never been to Charleston, run, don't walk. Like it is such an amazing city. The, the best way that I could describe it, it's exactly like New Orleans, except very clean. No like drunk people throwing mm -hmm. up on the sidewalk or throwing beads at, you know, uh, bare chested ladies. It's like so clean. Not, Not there's anything wrong, wrong with, with that. But if you're going with your grandma, <laughs> maybe go to yeah. a historic Different downtown vibe. Charleston instead of Bourbon Street. Just saying. Um, but yeah. the, the food yeah. there was fantastic. We went to, when I was in Nashville, my favorite restaurant was, uh, this restaurant called Husk. And then they've got one in Charleston. Mm -hmm. I went there, shout out to them. Amazing food. But, uh, I just loved, loved that city. And I imagine, you know, you go, you go there a lot, right? Haven't yeah. been there in a minute, um, but I've spent an enormous amount of time there. I That's lived there saying, for about yeah. five years. Um, I went to culinary school. Yep, I went to culinary school at uh, Johnson and Wales University back when they had a campus in Charleston. It's now moved mm. to Charlotte. Um, but uh, they, they had Johnson and Wales University out of Providence, Rhode Island, um, had a satellite university in Charleston for about 25 years. And they launched that culinary campus originally to train the Navy. So they, had, they had a military contract. And then they started getting, you know, uh, local uh, chefs to kind of come in and then open it up to the public. And and there, there hasn't been a, a huge, famous population of chefs that have come through Charleston specifically. Sean Brock from Husk actually graduated uh, from Charleston. So did a, a few other people. But um, it was an amazing place to go to school and learn the theoretical value of cooking. And then back it up with the actual school hot stoves of cooking in one of the greatest culinary cities in the world, and that's Charleston, yeah. South Carolina. The food there is phenomenal. Yeah, it's so I delicious. Mean, you have such fresh seafood paired with like mm -hmm. you know good old country Southern cooking. Like it is just this beautiful amalgamation of of just Southern cooking and amazing seafood. And then of course, everyone is the nicest person you've ever met in your entire life. Like I, I yeah. Sarah had never been there. I went there cause I, uh, I've been there before cause I actually looked at Carl's Charleston for college and decided not to go there. But I was like, this place is awesome. And afterwards, Sarah was like, we need to come back here. We need to rent like uh, a house on the water. We need to all come out here with friends, yep. eat, drink, go on a boat, play golf. So anyways, if you're looking for an amazing escape and also really, really easy to travel to from the Northeast, because everyone was like, yeah, it's like an hour and a half flight for us down here. Super easy. So anyways, two big thumbs up for uh, Charleston if you're into the food scene and all that kind of stuff. Yeah, that whole part of the world is just spectacular. Anywhere from like Hilton Head all the way mm -hmm. up to Charleston, even down to Savannah, like that whole part neck of the woods is just 
Yeah, Kiwa Island's fantastic. That's a great place, especially if you like golf. That place is amazing. Um, but uh, yeah, yeah, I mean, it, it's old mm-hmm. America. It's like Boston or Philadelphia. I mean, uh, I, I think Charleston was founded in the late 1600s, early 1700s. Like it's yeah. old. And and when you walk around the city, you really kind of feel that that history, specifically with the architecture and the the you know the the you know the how it's it was involved in the Revolutionary War and then the Civil War and all that kind of stuff. So it's just it's so steeped in history and and the food scene now and and then the vibe. It's super hip. Yeah. It's super hip. It's so it's so cool. Um, yes, yeah, so it's one of those places. That if you haven't been there, you go check it out, and you want to know what the fuss is all about. You just go check it out. Just go them for the weekend. You'll know it. But then a couple of those barrier island places. If you want to go rent a really beautiful home mm-hmm. for the weekend, Isle of Palms. That's a place you got to go check out. Uh, and then also Sullivan's Island is another great where I used to live as well. Those those places are phenomenal. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And well, I love last thing about Charleston. But what I love about that city is that they've done a very good job of repurposing these old buildings and retrofitting them new like uh, where the wedding was it was in an old you know cotton gin factory that they've turned into this amazing event space and it hasn't Mm. lost the charm i think one of the problems that the things that i love about europe is it feels old and you know the antiquity of it all because they've they've kept you know that history and then just retrofitted it and you know we do this whole thing in america where it's like knock it down build it up bigger and all that kind of stuff and what charleston's done great is it has kept that that timeless feel and look and so i just love that place yeah, no building in Charleston can be built higher than the tallest yeah, church. Yeah. Deep. I, <laughs> I love that. Yeah, so so it just, you just yeah because like it just it has like there's a yeah. there's a vibe to yeah. it. It'll never change. Well, I'm excited yeah. about today's episode because it was kind of my idea. I started uh, like a sh- a shared um, notes thing for for the show because I've been watching TikTok a lot and Instagram Reels and stuff, and obviously because of the algorithm and you know. The, the things that I'm interested, I'm seeing a lot of TikTok videos, and I thought it would be a really fun episode if we got a bunch of these TikTok videos and played them for you, Tyler, and got your yeah. take on this. Oh boy! Okay, because some yeah. are great, some are stupid. Let's just call it. Let's just call it what it is. I mean, so some some of those kitchen hacks are like, okay, that's phenomenal. I saw one on on uh, uh, Food Network's Instagram page today. It was like, okay, on mm-hmm. poaching eggs. It was like, okay, that's kind of crazy. But some are just sort of ridiculous. Anyway, it's going to be a silly good time. Let's take a quick break. And when we come back on Two Dudes in the Kitchen, we're going super viral. We're jumping into the social media world, and we're going to see just how annoyed we can make Tyler. (laughs) (laughs) I'm ready for it. Trinity School of Natural Health can help you be part of the fast-growing health and wellness industry. With an education that empowers communities, Trinity grads can change lives by applying natural health principles and techniques in holistic practices or stores selling nourishing health products. Offering 19 online programs that fit your busy schedule, you'll get training to help turn your passion into a career. Enroll today at trinityschool.org. That's trinityschool.org. Asking the right questions can greatly impact your future, especially when it comes to your finances. So if you're looking for a financial advisor you can trust, certified financial planner professionals are committed to acting in your best interest. That's why it's got to be a CFP. Find your CFP professional at letsmakeaplan.org. Hi, I'm Cindy Crawford, and I'm the founder of Meaningful Beauty. 
Well, I don't know about you, but like I never liked being told, oh, wow, you look so good for your age. Like why even bother saying that? Why don't you just say you look great at any age, every age? That's what Meaningful Beauty is all about. We create products that make you feel confident in your skin at the age you are now. Meaningful Beauty. Beautiful skin at every age. Learn more at MeaningfulBeauty.com. All right, we're back. You're listening to Two Dudes in a Kitchen. Today is the uh, the viral sensation episode. We're going to go through a bunch of TikTok videos, play them for Tyler, and see what he thinks get his take on them. Some of them are good. Some of them are probably going to annoy him, uh, but it should be fun. Um, the The first one I want to play is one that that gave me this idea because I saw it and I thought, wow, that's really interesting. I know how to make a really good steak. Um, and this guy does something completely different. And I thought, I might want to try this, but I also want to know what Tyler thinks because he might be like, this is the dumbest thing I've ever heard. Why would you do this? Yeah, it, it might be, it might be. But then again, you, you always like learn something from everybody. And that's what I really love about um, social media as a mechanism to learn things specifically in the kitchen, because there's a difference between cooking recipes and then kitchen wisdom. And I think that's what this level of, you know, mind share is and what it's really good for. It's just things that I do in my house that, you know, I've learned how to kind of cut corners or save time or make it better or save some money, whatever it is. And I think some of those things are kind of brilliant, kind of brilliant. And then some are just yeah. knucklehead soup. All right. So this All first one is entitled Flavoring Your Cutting Board. Everybody knows that cooking a piece of meat is like wringing a wet sponge. Heat pushes out moisture. What is less known is that the same process, to an extent, works in reverse. Meat sucks up moisture as it cools. This is one of the many reasons why I usually don't season or flavor my steak. I flavor my cutting board. I put nothing but oil on the steak before it goes in the pan. You could put some salt and pepper on it before cooking if you want, but I like my pepper raw, and the idea that salting meat immediately before cooking will enhance browning is, as far as I can tell, a myth. If you want to salt in advance, do it at least 40 minutes in advance, per Kenji's authoritative article on the subject. Okay, what is that? Okay, so when you're seasoning a, a piece of protein with salt, is how are you going to make it taste good? All right, period. And, and there's a couple of ways to, to make things taste good. Like your palate responds to spicy, sour, salty, and sweet. And then there's this weird thing called umami. That's a different conversation, right? But to make something taste great, you, first and foremost, you're going to add salt to it. And you want to add salt to it. And you want to add salt to it before you cook it, right? Now, I, I, I like the idea of kind of hitting it with um, salt at the end. But I do think it's kind of a punt, like not that mm -hmm. big of a deal uh, to, to season a cutting board to add some salt to it. Like I could just drizzle it with olive oil and salt and pepper for a finishing element. And I recommend you do that too. Like, like to, so when we have, when we have season things, let's take Miller and Lux, for example. So when we finish our steaks, we finish it with what we call steak oil, not snake oil, but steak oil. And it's uh, organic olive oil infused with uh, rosemary and sage and garlic. And it's delicious and it's a little peppery, right? It's real. It's a real nice kind of punchy finish for steak. And then we finish it with uh, coarse sea salt that you can see on top. So it's got a nice visual appeal. Plus, it's one more layer of just flavor that you're going to taste before you get into the fat content, which is like that deep unctuousness when it comes to a good steak. So 
Like I, I do think seasoning something you, like in, in cooking, they always say you want to season the cut. So when you slice something, you want to season it on the inside. I don't think it's that big of a deal to say you can't season with salt. I only sear it naked. I only season my cutting board because I just don't think it's that big of a deal to be perfectly honest with you. Like I, I season it before. I'll hit it with some seasoning after. I, I don't know if I would have made a whole okay, big well, video. Okay, well, let's see, let's see the rest of it. I just wanted to like get your kind of initial take on it because may, maybe he'll change your mind. What I'm doing here is a classic technique called dressing the board. And one of the reasons I love it is that I can do all of this prep while the steak is already cooking. Just chopping up some rosemary from my yard. Rosemary and steak are mm, chef kiss. Now I'm just finely grating a small clove of garlic with my microplane. This is going to be virtually raw, so be very careful with how much you use. I like garlic, and I like a little citrus on my steak. Not everybody does, just a little bit for me. I use lemon, sometimes I use lime, sometimes even grapefruit. And I like a ton of coarsely ground pepper. I like it raw because it tends to burn on the steak, and because cooking pepper takes away a lot of its pungency. That's why people in fancy restaurants offer you some at the table. Just a few grains of salt go on the board. I'll tell you why so few in a minute. I'll flip my steak. That's a strip steak, by the way. Brits would call it a sirloin. A couple little slivers of butter go on the board. You could throw that butter in the pan for the last minute of cooking if you like it brown. I like how the milky taste of fresh butter contrasts with the deep, dark flavor of the steak. And I am not alone. Tons of classic American steakhouses finish with fresh butter. I cooked this steak for nine minutes total and the rest of it for five. Including the minute in which I preheated my pan, that is literally 15 minutes from start to dinner. Because again, with this method, you can prep all of your flavorings for the meat while it's cooking instead of before. Steak goes on top of all that stuff. Its heat will soften the rosemary and melt the butter and take the edge off of the raw garlic as it all just sits there and rests. All right, look at that juice coming out. That's like the water we squeezed out of the sponge. And normally it would be lost in the ether, but we're going to reclaim it. I'll cut my steak into thin slices, and because I'm lazy, I'll cut the slices in half so everything is bite-sized now. And then here's the big moment. We'll just toss the pieces in our pool of flavor-augmented beef juice. <laughs> this is when the sponge starts to reabsorb. Yeah and it'll absorb even more if you let it rest a second time in a big heap like this to keep it warm. That said, with all of this slicing and resting, the meat will go cold the instant you put it on a cold plate. So I either eat it straight off the board or I warm my plate. Here is one way to warm a plate. Run it under hot water for a minute, both sides. It'll be easy to dry off because hot water evaporates. A hot plate can actually reheat a well-rested plate, <laughs> which is one of many reasons why steakhouses generally heat their plates. Now look at how little juice is left for me to scrape off of that board. The meat has sucked in the rest. Hey, fun fact, even perfectly pink steak will look gray or brown in natural sunlight. That's why steakhouses don't have windows. I should have shot this video at night. And this is why I only put is a little true? salt on the cutting board to get evenly <laughs> okay. distributed no. through the steak. I like for most of my salt a to be in the form of a super right. coarse finishing salt. Think of it like a pretzel. You could just mix the salt into your dough before you bake the pretzel and it would be uniformly salty. But it's much more interesting and delicious to have your salt concentrated in big crunchy crystals on top. Little sparks of salt instead of blanket low-level yeah. saltiness. So there is the method. If you try it, get creative. Any flavors at all can go on that cutting board, as can any tender cut of meat for that matter. Even if you add no flavoring at all, just tossing the meat in its own juices can be a great thing to do. 
Okay. 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 So I, I think sometimes you get these like bro yeah. science guys that really want to make a mountain yeah. out of a molehill when it comes to, you know, m making like a super deep reason why, like they're <clears throat> reinventing something that man has known how to do for millennia. Right. And that's how to make meat brown mm -hmm. and to eat it. Right. So congratulations, bro science guy. You learned how to cook a steak. Nice job. Now, <clears throat> what he got right was the resting aspect of that, right? Because if you cut a steak, because like when you bring up the internal temperature of steak, okay, so let's say, you know, uh, moisture boils at, at, at 212 degrees, right? So that's, that's, that's when it, uh, moisture turns into a vapor, okay? So, and you're gonna get some of that steam on the outside of the steak when you start to cook it. So you'll see, you know, moisture that's on the surface start to evaporate from the steak, but, you know, protein is mostly water. So there's a lot of water on the outside of the surface, but also there's a lot of water on the inside that's starting to really sort of crank up in temperature. Now, if you like it medium rare, you're gonna cook it about 127, and then you're gonna let it rest. 127 degree moisture is looking for, um, what, what, what the, what it's, it's starting to kind of circulate. What, I'm blanking on the term for this, but, uh, but convection, right? So it's starting to kind of move around and it's looking for some way, some way to go. It just wants to move, right? That force and that heat is pushing the moisture in one place or the other. Now, if you, if you take that 127 degree steak, that's a perfect medium rare, and you drop onto a cutting board and you slice it right away, that moisture is just going to go find some leak and just go just ooze all over the cutting board. This could be a mixture of, 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 of natural moisture and water that's in the protein, a mixture of blood and fat. It's just going to, the, the, the moisture is just going to start to kind of find its way out of the steak. 90 degrees is kind of the temperature that you want to mm. serve steak. So you want to let it rest. So 90 degrees, that's body temperature, is still pretty hot. Um, and it hot to your palate, hot to it feels hot, right? So you know, taking it down from 127, which is a perfect medium rare, to like tent it, cover it, let it rest. You're gonna, um, you're, it, it, it's not reabsorbing. It didn't lose the moisture in the first place, right? So, but 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 if you take a look at the steak, because what's happening um, on the surface of the steak, which is also really kind of interesting too. Now the Maillard reaction, where the amino acids and the proteins start to melt and form that beautiful crispy crust, and we get that at Miller and Lux by using a broiler, it's a thousand degrees. So it really just melts the top of the steak into a big kind of crusty, cr crunchy texture, which is gorgeous, right? Now, if you look at that under a microscope, it is as porous and as dry as a sponge, and it will absorb like moisture content on the outside. What we like to do, is add a lick of fat on the outside of it. Now, when you see chefs on Instagram butter base their dishes right at the very end, they'll throw in a big knob of butter, some garlic, some rosemary, and they'll start to paint the top of that. And what they're adding is another fantastic lick of fat flavor, fresh herb and garlic to that porous crispy crust that's on the outside. So when you bite into that, you're getting one more big fat hit of just like fresh fat that's delicious. Now, I also like the fact that he added butter to the end of that, because like sometimes when you sear a steak in, in a pan, that butter, that oil can get hammered. So it kind of loses a lot of its properties and it doesn't, it loses its freshness. So adding a little bit of butter right there at the very end. I think he made a big deal about nothing. So here's the deal. All that fresh flavor, garlic, rosemary, olive oil, lemon juice, Argentinians call mm -hmm. that chimichurri, right? They, they invented it a long time ago. I mean, it's got parsley, it's got red wine vinegar, some other stuff, of course. But that the idea of adding fresh fat, fresh herbs, salt, pepper, 
you know, I, I don't think there's a big science behind that. It just tastes good. You know, it's really, really good, yummy, nice stuff. I don't, I don't think it absorbs it as the way it cut as, as much as it coats it on the outside. I don't think there's any, listen, I'm sure that steak tasted delicious. I don't think there's a ton of why behind why he did that. Okay. So you do not buy the cutting board seasoning method of steak baking. I just think he just made a mess to be perfectly honest with you. Right. Like, so like, you know what I mean? So take the steak, let it sear, slice it. And if you, if you took all those ingredients, soft butter, rosemary, fresh garlic, salt, and you made a compound butter, right. Which is a butter with components in it. Right. So you put all that stuff into a mixer or a food processor, blend it all together. And at the restaurant and in classic restaurants too, they'll, they'll tie that, uh, they'll wrap it up in plastic and, and cinch it up into a, a log, a tube, and then slice that and put a big, uh, uh, chunk of mater d butter on top of the steak and kind of let that melt. Well, that's yeah. kind of fire too. So, so where this guy won a, a lick of fresh fat on top of the steak, I think it's fantastic. I'd rather put that on a plate and put it on the cutting board. Um, I think if you want to warm up your plates, put your oven on 200 degrees and just put the uh, put the plates in there, right? Because those those that porcelain will start to cool down pretty quickly. But but uh, uh, our plates at the restaurant are almost too hot to touch when they leave the window. That's how we guarantee that you're going to get a hot steak in front of you. It cools down pretty quickly. But um, so don't, I, I think running them under hot water feels like kind of a waste of time, and kind of a mess too at the same time. But um, I like the fact that he added a nice big lick of fat. I like rosemary and meat that tastes great together. Salt, of course, that's a no brainer. Um, I, I don't know if I would have made a whole okay. video about that. Well, let's stick with the, the steak theme. Here's a video called using steak to season a steak which sounds redundant. We're gonna try seasoning this steak with the crust from this steak. Wow, gotta taste this. We're going heavy with the salt and pepper on here and now we just sear it super hot for super long and build the thickest crust possible. Can't believe people actually prefer this. Dehydrate overnight. We dried it out, we blended it, and now we're left with that crust dust. Apply that to the next steak with a little bit of salt. That's cool. Okay, so I, if you're not watching this with us, he he overcooked a steak, made effectively made jerky. jerky, then put it into a grinder, yeah. and it made a powder, and now he's applying this old steak jerky powder to a new steak. Yeah, yeah. So he, he, he took he took $20 a pound <laughs> sirloin, overcooked one specifically just to overcook it. Um, dried it out, made a powder out of it, made a seasoning steak wood steak. Okay, all right, I'm in. It's fun. So you guys are gonna fall off in the pan though. It did not indeed fall off. It looks like an amazing crust, but we'll see. This is how a steak should be cooked. Perfect medium rare. Um, as for the crust, it was good. I wouldn't do it again. I wouldn't try it at home, but my boy Max, shout out. Creativity is on another level. Wow. Well. He cooked yeah. the second one well, I would say that. Yeah, and you know what? L listen, um, part of what we do full-time is R&D. I've got a dude in my company, and that's all he does is take my wacky ideas and prove them to, to work or not. And, and so we spend a lot of time doing goofy stuff like this just to see if there's some there there because like that is what innovation is all about sometimes you know you, you can't make an omelet without cracking a few eggs and sometimes you got to go what yeah. if you you know take all this kind of fun stuff and do this with it and then try the next thing out so i i think you, you never really know how those things turn out i do love the fact that all these kids mm -hmm. are super young 
and and it seems like they're just discovering meat <laughs> for the first time, and they're telling the world about how to cook steak as if the world's ever seen a steak cook. But maybe their generation, which is which is kind of interesting too, because I've got a I have a sixteen year old who last night for dinner, he was like, dad, he, he went to the grocery store uh, by himself and kind of came back with a, a grocery bag full of stuff. Because dad, will you teach me how to make a, a spicy fried chicken sandwich? I'm like, yeah. brother, let's do it. Let's go. So so he and I spent an hour in the kitchen last night making, not bragging, can masterpiece fried chicken sandwich. And, and, and he was taking pictures and he was learning all this stuff. So I, I think, you know, this generation, there's a big, huge R&D kind of component to a lot of this stuff. Um, he's also a big tech nerd too, uh, budding engineer. He wants to go wow. to MIT. So he was into like, you know, like, like how, how long do you cook the chicken for? And at what temperature do you got to let it rest at? And what's that crust thing all about? And so I think a lot of these kids, I think it's super sharp. I think you never know. Um, somebody's going to stumble into something the world's never seen before. And I think this yeah, is just the path. This, this younger okay. generation has grown up with YouTube and TikTok and, you know, no longer do you need to have a manual for anything. You can say, I, I need to change yeah. out my alternator. How do I do that? And TikTok will show you exactly how to do it. And I think that's happening with cooking as well. So you don't t necessarily have to go to, you know, some fancy culinary school. You can just learn stuff on TikTok. Now, I wouldn't say... And you can learn exactly, yeah, exactly what you want to learn when you want to learn it, which is kind of cool. So, so after our fried chicken sandwiches, because dad, there's this like, there's this like, you know, scientist guy on YouTube that cooked a turkey by smacking oh. it. Yeah. Hmm. So, is <laughs> just Google is going like to YouTube a video that's and going to give me viruses. Or, 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 or at least salmonella. <laughs> yeah. I, I don't really know. But but one or the other. But but so this this kid was like studying studying uh, friction on on protein, and so he kind of built this high pressure machine uh, with um, with an air compressor, and it had all these little hands. It was just like smacking this turkey for like I don't know six hours, and he raised the temperature from like sixty degrees, sort of like you know just sort of post refrigerator. Up to about 130 degrees with just friction, just going over and over and over again. It was the dumbest thing I've ever seen in my entire life. But him as a personality, just being like a science nerd, going, can I cook this thing by just smacking it? I mean, it was definitely um, just the you know name of the video alone. Clickbait, they call that. Yeah, um, got me sure, that's sure. what he's using it for, to yeah. heat up a turkey. Trinity School of Natural Health can help you be part of the fast-growing health and wellness industry. With an education that empowers communities, Trinity grads can change lives by applying natural health principles and techniques in holistic practices or stores selling nourishing health products. Offering 19 online programs that fit your busy schedule, you'll get training to help turn your passion into a career. Enroll today at trinityschool.org. That's trinityschool.org. Asking the right questions can greatly impact your future, especially when it comes to your finances. So if you're looking for a financial advisor you can trust, certified financial planner professionals are committed to acting in your best interest. That's why it's got to be a CFP. Find your CFP professional at letsmakeaplan.org. Hi, I'm Cindy Crawford, and I'm the founder of Meaningful Beauty. Well, I don't know about you, but like, I never liked being told, oh, wow, you look so good for your age. Like, why even bother saying that? Why don't you just say you look great at any age, every age? 
that's what Meaningful Beauty is all about. We create products that make you feel confident in your skin at the age you are now. Meaningful Beauty. Beautiful skin at every age. Learn more at MeaningfulBeauty.com. All right, the next video is called The Best Way to Reheat a Pizza. And I've seen a lot of these, and I want to get your take on this. Okay. So I don't think this video's got any audio. So this guy's got a frying pan with a with an old yep. piece of pizza in it, and he's thrown two double slices, double slice. he's thrown two ice cubes in it, and then put the top on. Yeah. So the ice cubes melt. It makes it yep. st like steamed, I guess. And then I guess mm -hmm. that's the best way to reheat a pizza. What do you think about that? Well, I, what we didn't see, and you could tell by the way he lifted the pizza up out of the pan, that it was yes. really, really soggy. Right. So it, I think it's got too much water in the bottom of the pan because I, the way I like to reheat pizza, right? Um, if you have a pizza stone, and if you don't, you should buy one because I, I, I think we use them for a lot of things. That's the best way to, to, re, to reheat pizza. It's just, you know, get the pizza stone nice and hot and then actually take the cold pizza. And what I like to do is just kind of with my fingers, like I, I like to take fresh cold water and flick water on top of the of the of the crust itself because what you want to rehydrate is the tomato the cheese the top of the crust you want to put a little moisture in type of the because like the if the pizza has already been baked it sat outside on the kitchen counter or the kitchen or the kitchen table while everyone had most of it and then so there's a level of dehydration that's already into plus if you just loosely wrapped it up in you know in a ziploc bag and threw it in the fridge it's probably mm. pretty dried out so i think reintroducing some water to that i do think is a good method to reheat pizza, I think two ice cubes is going to make it soggy. It's just, you might as well uh, uh, dump the quarter cup of water in the bottom of that because that's what's going to melt out to you, right? So I think, like, what I like to do, um, uh, pizza stone over, over saute pan. But if you have a saute pan, I think that's a, a really good method. Just flat, hot, you want to, you want to recrisp the crust. And then what I like to do instead of adding ice cube is just take my fingers and just kind of flick some fresh water on top of that because you, you want just the perfect amount of rehydration just to kind of just to warm it up again. Now, another great way to 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 reconstitute stale bread, right, or bread that feels a little dried out, um, it, it's kind of in the, you know, it's not apples for apples, but it's kind of the same sort of idea. Rehydrating bread is to take a damp uh, uh, paper towel or a couple of damp paper towels. Um, fold them over top of the bread itself. I also do this with tortillas. That goes onto a plate into the microwave for about a minute, and then that moisture content will mm. re-steam and reintroduce moisture into the bread. Either bread works really great with like a baguette or, or you know, a, a chunk of like a levain if you've got something left over from the farmer's market. And, and what it works out really, really well for is tortillas. It makes tortillas just feel nice and floppy and fresh as if they were just freshly made. But um, to take that back to the pizza, I think he's got something going on. Just you too should much make that rehydrating bread idea into a TikTok. That would probably get a lot of views. That would be cool. Yeah. I mean, to just, just like paper towels, couple folded over, get them wet, wring it out, open it up one more time, layer it over top of the stack of the tortillas into the microwave, you know, minute, minute and a half, something like that. And then and you, you, you pull the paper towel off and they're just steamy and fluffy and fresh. And then you could crisp them up, crisp them up again if you want to grill them or just, just go straight in for, you know, your taco thing. I like it. That's great. All right. The next one is called boiling water. Do you wait? Does it change the recipe? I can't wait to see this one. 
I don't know who needs to hear this, just in case. This is not boiling water. Still not boiling. Still not boiling. Now it's boiling. And yes, this will affect how your recipe turns out. The more you know. Effectively, what she's saying is that if your water is simmering, it's not boiling. Yeah, there's a difference between poaching and boiling and, and different culinary techniques for both. Like you don't want to boil eggs, you want to poach eggs, right? But you don't want to poach pasta, you want okay. to boil pasta, right? So it kind of depends on what it is. You know, like protein doesn't like that real aggressive high heat with water, like a lower temperature to just simmer. If you're going to poach an egg, you want to simmer an egg. So what she was showing earlier and those early little slight bubbles, that's the temperature you want to poach eggs in. But you don't want to put pasta in that water, too, because it's not hot enough to actually cook it. You're just going to start to leach out all of the all of the sort of the flour and the carbohydrates that are in that. You're going to make a big, like, soupy, uh, starchy mess versus actually boil. And it's going to cook inconsistently, too. Versus boiling the pasta. Boiling pasta needs to be cooked at a, you know 212. Water doesn't get any hotter than that before it turns into a vapor. So so salt the water, boiling pasta, and it's also going to affect the cook time too. So if you're slightly impatient with it and you feel it, you see okay, I see bubbles. Is that boiling? And you throw your pasta in that. Pasta already takes probably you know probably takes 20 minutes to bring a pot like that to boil, and then probably another 20, 15, 20 minutes to cook the pasta all the way through. So when you're cooking pasta itself, it's already a 40 minute thing, 35, 40 minute thing. If the water is not super hot, it's just going to take long. Interesting. So if I'm making, um, let's say chicken soup, so I'm, you know, I'm boiling a chicken effectively to, to make my stock. Okay. Do I want to be cooking that at a simmer since it's a protein or should it be at a boil? You want to cook that at, yeah, uh, protein does not like okay. boiling liquids, Right. Or in the kitchen, what we call an RFB or a rapid fucking boil, right? You you, you don't you don't want because just it just it starts to just like smash everything up, right? You know when you're cooking or making a really good chicken soup, like you know making chicken stock with chicken and you know which would be the protein and then the flavoring, which would be you know the garlic and the carrots and the celery and the, the mirepoix and then the herbs and that kind of stuff. Like you you want to steep that like you're making mm. tea, right? So. How we make stocks and, and you know, and there's a difference between like, you know, like a, like a really super beautiful refined sauce in a restaurant and then bone broth, right? Bone broth, you can get a little messy with it. Or if you're making like ramen, you know, beautiful, like, like a ramen soup base, you can get a little messy with that one too. Because that, that one requires like the, it, it, you just, you're trying to extract the marrow from the stuff. You want it, you want it cloudy. You want it thick. You want it murky. That's kind of what that's for. But if you're just going to make like a really beautiful, clear chicken broth, what we do in the restaurant, and we do this with veal stock too, is you, you take take the mirepoix and like sometimes, so if it's a if it's chicken, we want to make a dark chicken stock. So we're going to roast the bones first. So we want like that beautiful kind of caramelized color, roasted, roasty flavor. Um, big, huge difference, like pro level step up, like roast your your you know your parts first. Start off with cold water. You never want to start a stock in hot water. You want to start off in cold water because you want that full extraction, mm. right? You want to just kind of let it come up nice and slow with your mirepoix. So that's going to be, and this could be anything, but classically it's uh, carrot, celery, onion, and garlic. And then with herbs, you know, rosemary, thyme, sage, nice woody herbs. You don't want to put basil on a stock. You want to put stemmy woody herbs into a stock. They're going to hold up better. And then what we like to do is kind of bring it up to a simmer, 
right? So that's kind of like the maximum of, of the temperature that protein likes. And then what I like to do is simmer it for about 20 minutes or so, right? Maybe a half an hour, right? And then I'll shut it off and then we'll wrap up the top of it and then we'll let it steep to get a maximum extraction of flavor out of that. Then we'll uh, 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 you strain it. So we strain all the bits and pieces out. Now, if you're making a really good chicken soup, that's a good opportunity to take all the chicken and shred it, right? So you kind of get chunks of chicken in that. Now, with the stock, so you've had a maximum extraction at, at a low enough temperature that it doesn't start to break the bone particulate down. And that's what always makes a stock really cloudy is when you start to break the bone mm. particulate, right? So then, then, so if you got a nice, clear, beautiful, intense broth, then you cook that down. And that's how we get crystal clear, really intense veal stock for our demi-gloss and for our green peppercorn bordelaise and those things that, that just have a maximum extraction. And it's like a magic trick that they're crystal clear on the plate. It's just like, holy fuck, wow, that's cool, right? I mean, just like laser, beautiful Michelin technique. Now, if you're making like like a sort of, a, like I said, like a, like a bone broth, or if you're making ramen st stock or something like that, you wanna boil it, right? You wanna, you wanna boil that with like, you know, with like maitake dried mushrooms and ginger and garlic and, and uh, pieces of pork. And you just want to boil that until it just starts to look really kind of milky and cloudy. And that's basically from the bones starting to break down and that kind of thing. And then you, then that's really good too. I mean, at the end of the day, it's all really, really delicious. It's just like, you know, do you want it, do you want it like crystal clear or do you want it like chunky or what it is? But I, I, I to me, uh, what, you know, I always kind of think about, am I cooking this at home or am I cooking this for the restaurant crowd? Where are we going with that? And then, uh, uh, and then you know, thinking through, um, you know, what that final presentation was. Yeah. Like. Okay. I learned a lot. One, um, I I thought you were supposed to boil chicken for like my chicken stock, but the other thing I didn't know that I picked up there is that put your chicken in to cold water and then bring it to boil. That's a good. That's a good tip. Yeah, slow, yeah. full extraction. Because put it because if you put it in hot water, mm -hmm. it's already starting to sear. It's already starting to cook, right? It's starting to kind of close itself off. You want you want it nice and relaxed, and just let everything start to extract from the protein wow. into All the right. liquid. I learned a lot there. Uh, there the next go. one is called the height at which you season. Interesting. I'm gonna explain to you why chefs always season from a height. When you season things from really close, it doesn't give the salt much time to move around. Now when we season from a height, as the salt falls, it moves left to right. It doesn't fall in a straight line down. This is what happens when we season it from close up. It's really patchy. When we season from a height, we get even coverage all the way around. A thousand percent true. Really? I, I think that's a really good video. And I like the fact that he actually, you know, did a little, you know, uh, taped off a little thing on the cutting board so you can see what that looks like when you're kind of putting it in one place versus kind of seasoning high. So you get nice, even coverage over top of the whole thing. A hundred percent true. That's a good video, actually. It's nice. What about doing yeah. it over your arm like salt bay? Does that do anything? Yeah. Yeah. Oh, yeah. All Everyone day long. Everyone loves that elbow I mean, grease. that just makes it yeah. so much better. Yeah, it's a little bit like yeah, like a, uh, a layup. You just want to, you know, from the hand, laid up off the elbow, straight on top of all that stuff. It just makes it taste so much better. All right, the next video is called Grating Frozen Chicken to Defrost It. Interesting. <laughs> Grated, I'm, I'm assuming, on a I, box grater. I'm scared do this. to see this. If she, if she, tell me, oh, I, I really want right, to see this. All right, here we go. Tell me she's going to put this on a box grater. Yes, please. Okay. She's got a box grater. 
<laughs> and she's grating it into a bowl with olive oil. Uh, uh, yeah, okay. Dig it. All right, right on. I'm in. Oh. <laughs> oh. Okay, so effectively what happened there was she right. grated a frozen chicken breast into a bowl and then I guess cooked yeah. the shredded chicken and then put it on rice. Well, you, you know, l let me tell you what I thought was really kind of interesting too because like if if you don't like to touch chicken, well, I guess you got to touch it anyway, but like sometimes like people don't like to cut yeah. stuff like that. I think, huh. So the idea of putting ground chicken into like a stir fry or obviously sort of a rice dish with this gentleman, made, like I, I don't, I don't hate that. What would I do? I like to me, like I would cut the, I would use a knife because it's not, it's not so hard that you can't put a knife through a frozen chicken breast. Of course you can't, right? And it's not that thick either. So maybe kind of cut it in small pieces and then pop it while it's still frozen into a food processor and pulse it down which I think might be kind of interesting if you want like a nice even sort of pellet size ground, you know, chicken texture for a stir fry. Yeah. That's fantastic. I think that's really great. I, I, I feel like, I feel like putting it on a, a box grater is not what the chicken or the box grater was desi <laughs> designed yeah. to do. You know what I mean? It is, but, but listen, I, this is, this is what we're talking about. This is not a recipe. This is like mm -hmm. kitchen wisdom, right? I mean, this guy's like, listen, you know, for me to you, uh, I, I grate my chicken on a box grater. You know what I mean? You know, and I've never seen that before. And I've seen a lot of stuff. So, I, you know, listen, I, I feel like I, uh, I I can't knock it till I try it. That That's my take from that particular thing because it might just be perfect. What we – the interesting thing about like kind of grating meat like that, like we – God, what do we do? Like we, we, we freeze foie okay. gras. Right. And then we grate foie gras with a microplane over top That's of like nice. risotto. Yeah. Doesn't that sound delicious? Like you get like a truffle risotto and then and then with a torsion, a frozen torsion of, of foie gras. And you grate that in snow showers like foie gras on top of risotto and you stir it in. All right. OK. So I think, you know, the the, the crux of the video was what do you do if your chicken is frozen and you want to eat soon? What is your you what is your trick to defrosting something do you put it in the microwave and use the defrost setting do you put it in the sink with warm water what do you do okay yeah so so you you want to take it out of the the container that you bought yeah. in from the grocery store right so it's like little tray it's covered with plastic so take it out of that put it into a ziploc bag mm -hmm. seal it and then take a bowl that's bigger than the bag and put that into the sink and then you want to run warm water into the bowl with the frozen chicken and let it okay. spill over, right? Because because if you just added enough water to cover it, that cold chicken is going to bring mm -hmm. the water temperature down. But you want a flow of water that's going to surround the chicken and then thaw it out pretty quickly. I could have that thing thawed out in yeah. 15, 20 minutes. Or you could just use a cheese grater, dude. Duh. Duh. Like, <laughs> duh. Like, yeah. Like, let's just grate it up, man. Like, it's like it's a big block of cheddar. You know, like, I'm, I'm trying to, like, before I just get too, you know, weird about that, I'm trying to think, well, what would be a good, like, use case scenario for, like, shredded chicken like that? I mean, I, I almost don't hate it. Like, I, I'd like to kind of see that, like, an industrial scale. Like, I mean, like, like dig this. If you walked into Costco, right? I'm actually starting to see there's maybe a little bit of brilliant innovation here. 
perhaps tiptoeing into genius territory. So let's just say you walk into Costco, right? And then my wife loves the big freezer section because mm. we got a big family. We're always like buying stuff in bulk here. If you bought shredded chicken, shredded raw chicken, right? That had like a flavoring element to it, right? Like say it had like, you know, something that tasted yeah. like a stir fry, something that tasted like yeah. tacos, whatever it is, right? Taco season. I always, already kind of cut in tacos. So, so frozen shredded chicken, pre-seasoned. And the only thing that you have to do is get your skillet hot and drop it in and it cooks in two seconds flat. It's not a bad idea. It's not a bad idea. It's not a bad idea. As a matter of fact, I'm going to All right. Did not Call think that that was to be the one. Frozen guy about chicken idea. Da, da, da. Boom. All right. Last one here is called bo- <laughs> boiling scrambled eggs. That seems like... Uh, it's called egg drop soup, right? Last time I heard about well, that. Yeah, right? but you, yeah, Is it's that... either you, you boil something huh. or you scramble it. That seems redundant, but let's just see what he's got to do. Okay. He's got boiling water. Okay. He's he's stirring it to create that like uh, cyclone effect. Yeah. This. Yeah, a little yeah. convection going on. Yeah, a little circular swirling. Which is something that you water. do okay. if you're poaching eggs, right? You try to uh, get that water going. Yeah. Yeah. All right, exactly. Here we go. Yeah, he's po- now he's. Pour, pouring in like scrambled eggs into boiling water. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it does. It looks like egg drop soup, right? Yep, 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 exactly. And then it looks like, and then he put it on a plate and it looks exactly like. Why well, you're missing yeah, so many steps out of that? Like what he went from pouring in to yeah. like eating on a plate. Like what you you know what what happened? I think yeah, I'm not sure if I believe that that was the same thing that was in that boiling water. So, so if, if you're if you're a big geeky fan of like you know like Netflix television and and Chef's Table and that kind of stuff, so Daniel Patterson, uh, who was a, a friend of mine in San Francisco, he had a great restaurant uh, called Qua uh, in in San Francisco for a long time. Now he did a video piece with David Chang, where he basically did this. He did this like poached omelet thing, which was kind of like one of those things like, oh my God, he made an omelet in water. It was like, wow. So I, I think, so like when, when you're when you're cooking, you think, okay, like, because I always tell people I can cook on a car hood and I kind of can't. Like if you can introduce any kind of heat to me whatsoever, I can make, I can cook anything, right? And so, so the idea of, um, Eggs being cooked at the perfect temperature that they like, which is a low temperature. The difference between scrambled eggs in a diner and a creme brulee, right? Both are eggs uh, with dairy, right? Butter and milk, whatever it is, right? is, mm-hmm. is the temperature. So if you put them into a screaming hot saute pan, they get really like chunky and hard and like, you know, pebbly and that kind of stuff. But if you cook them in a, in a water bath at a real low temperature, all of a sudden you have this succulence, this like silky thing, which is actually really, really kind of elegant and nice, right? So I think there's, there's this has definitely been mastered in, in Asian techniques a long, long, long time ago, which is kind of fun. So, so you swirl water, you pour the eggs on top of that, and then you could flavor the water too, which is really kind of nice. Um, there's also like similar recipes that they finish like ramen, right? So you could actually just take like that whole raft of eggs and kind of layer it over top of a bowl of ramen, Mm -hmm. Japanese ramen, which would be really, really elegant and pretty as well. Like it's not, it's just, listen, I think it's adorable 
that the this entire entire like young generation are just discovering cooking as yeah. if no one's ever done this stuff before. It's uh it's adorable, right? Go, go I love it. Like they've like, oh my god, we discovered blah blah blah. Like, listen, everyone's done this a hundred thousand times, a million miles ahead of you. But I do think it's kind of it's it's there's something to it. I don't think it's the best way to cook scrambled eggs specifically. I do think it would be a really interesting element to like another another a dish, right? Like if you want to kind of like swirl in this kind of beautiful cloud of fluffy eggs that are just perfectly poached, because we talked about that earlier, mm-hmm. difference between boiling and poaching, right? And if you want to very, very carefully with like a, a skimmer or what we call a spider in like the restaurant world, like like this big thing that you want you want to very delicately take all that out and lay that over top of something interesting. Like if you did fried rice, but then the the eggs were this. Uh, I think, and then you kind of finish it with some really good shoyu or like good soy sauce and, you know, scallions and cilantro and crispy fried shallots and, and chili crunch and all kinds of fun stuff. I could, I could master, I can make that really yeah. elegant in two seconds. Well, listen, they're definitely um, very creative with these TikTok videos. Adorable. 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 Have you oh heard of gosh. steak, guys? Let me tell you about this amazing thing what? called steak. <laughs> Get out. I mean, you, are you saying you put steak in heat and put salt yeah. on it actually tastes good? Wowzers. <laughs> oh, my gosh. Oh, man. Well, I, I like doing this episode. I think it was fun going through these videos. Um, I hope I hope the listeners out there uh, enjoyed it. We did. We learned a lot of stuff. Um, was it all great knowledge? Maybe, maybe not. I don't know. But what, what I like about this innovation, you know, has no root source, right? So listen, if you see something and your curiosity takes you to the mm-hmm. next conclusion of like, I'm going to f- put this on a box grader and yeah. let's see what happens, right? Listen, you know what I mean? That, that's how, you know, like penicillin was created. It's how raisins were made. It's how like, you know, it, like, let's just, let's just, you know, like, you know, what, yeah. around find out. Yeah. <laughs> You know, let's just let's just see, let's see what happens. Let's just let's see what happens, right? And so, in a lot of a lot of ways, like that's where you know for sure, because every trust me in the food world, everything's mm-hmm. been done before, everything. So now the goal, because there are new ideas out there, but it's but it's 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 not it's like innovative by taking this plus that equals yeah. something new. It's like change, reframing the recipe or reframing the calibration of how these two things collide with each other to make a new interpretation of what those things are. And I think some of those things are just brilliant or like, or they have the, 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 the root stem to be brilliant yeah. if it were just finished. Yeah. But that's cool, man. All right, everyone. Thank you so much for listening and viewing Two Dudes in a Kitchen, the the viral video TikTok episode. If you guys have some videos of stuff you guys want us to talk about, send it over on the uh, the Instagram page. Follow us at Two Dudes in a Kitchen on Instagram and uh, DM us those. And then, you know, the next time we do this, we'll play some of your videos and give you a shout out. That, that could be cool. Don't forget to subscribe and uh, rate and review and all that kind of stuff. But Tyler, this was fun. Thank you for... Uh, thank you for appeasing me in this uh, weird viral Anytime. edition of the show. I feel like my 27 years of cooking on the Food Network has gotten me in the zone of is helping you get yeah. dinner on the table. So when you open up the fridge and it's a big mystery, let's talk about that and let's see how we could take those ingredients that you've got laying around and let's turn them into something quick and delicious you can serve your family and friends this weekend. Love let's that. do that. 
All right, guys. Thanks so much for listening to Two Dudes in the Kitchen. We'll be back again next week. Don't forget, come hungry. See you guys. All right, guys. Thanks for listening. Follow us on Instagram at Two Dudes in a Kitchen. Make sure to write us a review and leave us five stars. <laughs> we'll take that. And we'll see you guys next time. See you next time. Trinity School of Natural Health can help you be part of the fast-growing health and wellness industry. With an education that empowers communities, Trinity grads can change lives by applying natural health principles and techniques in holistic practices or stores selling nourishing health products. Offering 19 online programs that fit your busy schedule, you'll get training to help turn your passion into a career. Enroll today at trinityschool.org. That's trinityschool.org. Nobody wants to outlive their money, but it happens, especially for women. That's why Gainbridge offers the Parity Flex annuity, designed for women's unique retirement needs, with flexible withdrawals plus a guaranteed lifetime income benefit that keeps paying you even if your account balance is zero. Gainbridge is helping build a better financial future for women. Retirement income you can't outlive is the ultimate flex. Start saving now at Gainbridge.io. Visit Gainbridge.io slash ParityFlex for current rates, full product disclosures and disclaimers, and other important information. Tired of endless diets and weight loss struggles? It's time to say goodbye to frustration and hello to results. Introducing Smart Metabolic Burn from BrainMD, your breakthrough solution to fight stubborn body fat. Imagine burning fat, balancing glucose levels, and regulating metabolism in just 12 weeks. This unique two-in-one product combines the power of two clinically studied ingredients in one revolutionary formula. Berberine, which targets abdominal fat, and OEA, which curbs your appetite. With just two capsules a day, Smart Metabolic Burn by BrainMD can kickstart your metabolism, fight stubborn body fat, especially that pesky abdominal fat and support your weight management journey. And right now, save over 30% on Smart Metabolic Burn at GetSmartBurn.com. The lowest price anywhere. That's GetSmartBurn.com. Don't delay. Transform your life with Smart Metabolic Burn from BrainMD. These statements have not been evaluated by the Food and Drug Administration. Our products are not intended to diagnose, treat, cure, or prevent any disease.